Okay, well, good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. I almost said good afternoon, good evening, and good night. If anyone knows what that's from, one of my favorite actors there, Jim Carrey, always seems to be his thing. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I'm just going to pull up uh, my sermon notes here for today, and can you hear me okay? Am I a little, little uh, hot in the speakers? Okay. You know, like you, it's always a pleasure to come into this place and to worship the Lord in one accord, and it ministers to my heart. It, it really does. Every time that we're here, I think, man, over a year and a half ago, just under, none of us were here. We were in different places, and, and God has brought us all here to this place, and we're continuing to grow, and things are continuing to happen. And today, without putting them on the spot, there's a, a couple here today, the one gentleman that I knew from way back, way back. Man, you look good for 90. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just kidding, he's not 90, but you know, it's, it's amazing the things you remember. And I, I was saying to you there, Ron, uh, I remembered you with the gray suit. The gray suit. And so it's amazing the memories that you have. And there's something that Ron doesn't know about here, but I remember as a kid after worship practice, we'd go into uh, Pastor, well, Pastor Jeff, but then Pastor Dave's office, and we would pray together. And uh, I always appreciated that. And there's one thing you may recall you always showed up on our uh, student prayer days at the poll. Prayer at the pool. I remember that. So thank you so much for that investment. I appreciate that. So I'm going to invite you to uh, turn to 2 Corinthians. Uh, I'm going to be uh, obedient here this afternoon and kick into the next uh, phase of our sermon series. Before we take a break and get into Christmas, can you believe it? Christmas. It's Christmas time, right? And, and so I'm, I am encouraged by what we're going to be comforted with this afternoon. Um, before we do that, actually, before I forget, I almost forgot Claudia, but here we go. Our ladies' tea is almost here, right? Well, you need to RSVP by the 19th. You can do it on the welcome table. It's a great time. I'm telling you, it's all decorated with the Christmas trimmings and everything. We have put a lot of effort into it. I shouldn't say we. What I mean we is my wife and other ladies. It's going to be beautiful. So there's the graphic from one to three at this location. Um, please RSVP on the welcome table or online at our website slash ladies tea. I'm telling you, it's effortless. The, the registration process we've made is effortless as possible. Possible, okay, and it's free. And uh, well, depending on the amount of people that will come, we might have to maybe put a little bit of a price tag so that people are like, "Wow, if it costs something, well, it must be really good." So I got RSVP. So anyway, there's some marketing, uh, you know, background in that. So here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Second Corinthians, chapter one, starts off like this: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. To the church of God at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. Share in the comfort. What an interesting passage. You read it, and right away it knocks down the prosperity gospel, if you only live in that camp, that says, For we just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. There are such things as suffering in this world for the cause of the kingdom, for the cause of Christ. But yet there's comfort in the midst of it all. And so a little bit of background story. Who likes background stories? You know, you watch a film, Greg, and, you know, and they, they say, you know, 10 years earlier. Well, here we're going to get a little background just so you know what's going on in Corinth at the time. This letter is written about 56 AD, six years after which Paul had planted the church in Corinth. So he had actually been there in person. That was during his second missionary journey. He spent 18 months there. There was a lot of fruit and yet a lot of challenges. A lot of challenges, which we'll get to. And he writes this letter around the end of his three-year ministry campaign in Ephesus. Ephesus is just across the Aegean Sea. So we have Corinth and Greece and then uh, Ephesus. Or for you, it would be flipped like this. Now, 2 Corinthians is believed actually to be the Apostle Paul's third letter. Did you know that? His third letter. Some scholars even believe that it may have actually been the apostle's fourth letter to the Corinthians. If in fact Paul had wrote another letter in advance of this very letter. And that was on the basis of Timothy's report. But for us here with the canon, we have 1 and 2 Corinthians. And this is important because we need to understand that Paul had a deep-seated relationship with the people in Corinth. There was a lot of correspondence. There was a lot of genuine care in his writing. It's not that he just wrote a few chapters and that was it. They got everything figured out and everyone fell in line, if you will, when it came to the faith. Everyone was growing. Everyone was learning this new life in Christ because in Corinth, there was what you call the pantheon of worship of other gods, of Zeus and all these other so-called gods. And so there was a change. There was a life, life transformation that was happening. And so there, there, there were these chains of letters and Paul was discipling the believers in Corinth. And of course, when you have the second letter, there's always the first. We're told in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, I wrote you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he wrote a previous letter prior to 1 Corinthians. So really, 2 Corinthians is the third or fourth letter to the believers in Corinth. And he writes in his first letter that we have on record of his purpose. He clarifies, he says, I'm not writing to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel, therefore I urge you to imitate me. 
This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. Here's a beautiful thing I appreciate this before we move on, is that Paul was the same with everybody. He didn't treat the people in Corinth one way and everyone else a different way. He was consistent. He cared about disciples. He cared about what Jesus taught him and what he was to teach others. And so as we come back to the place of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2 he says, I've made up my mind about this, that I would not come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have the pain from those who ought to give me joy. Because I am confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. Catch that last part, that you know the abundant love I have for you. Like a true spiritual father, a fathers who care speak the truth. Fathers who care teach you and guide you in this life. Just like my own earthly father was the same way. And there's times I didn't want to hear even some of the words may have, I thought were maybe painful, hurt, maybe hurtful things, but really it was for my benefit, it was for my good. And Paul in similar reflects, he's writing this and saying, I do all this so you would know my abundant love. And so both these letters, for sake of background, we can see there's a place of authority, but he's showing this is coming from a deep-seated place of genuine love. Genuine love. And so a few takeaways as we get back to our passage is this. Ministry without genuine care doesn't yield the same kind of fruit that real love does. When there's not genuine care and genuine love, it's going to yield a different kind of fruit. We've all been there. We've all been under or maybe even sat under different leaders and, and different spheres of life where people say, I, I really love you, I really care for you, but we know by their actions whether they do or not. And so here he's showing us without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what he's written or how they've received it, he wants them to know, I have an abundant love for you. And I believe this is the part of the, the foundation that he's coming at in this opening chapter of 2 Corinthians, that real af affection, if you can catch this, real affection alleviates affliction. Real affection alleviates affliction. When you're going through something, when someone comes alongside you and puts more than just a gentle embrace but says, hey, I've been there, or you're going to get through this. Our God of all comfort, he's going to guide the way. There's something about that. That real affection temporarily, in many respects, alleviates that affliction. Now we can note, as he even wrote to Timothy, he didn't write in such a way that would tickle people's ears. He didn't, or he wasn't concerned about feeding their egos. Because he was responsible for them. He was responsible for their discipleship, and so championing their faith mattered to Paul. 
He led by example. And right at the beginning of the chapter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are afflicted. Paul knew what it meant to face affliction. And yet he wasn't willing to just avoid the elephants in the room. He wrote these letters with deep-seated topics and themes because their spiritual growth was important. And so here as we return to our passage and we look more deeply at this word affliction and what Paul's getting at here, here's a proposition for today. That when we grasp the truth of this passage, when we understand all of its facets, we will understand that there's always going to be affliction, there will always be hardship, but there will equally be sowing and reaping of evangelism along with encountering the comfort of our Lord. Nothing worth doing was ever easy. You ever heard that? Nothing worth doing was ever easy. We know this time of season with Christmas. It's time to put up the lights. It's going to look beautiful once you put them up, but the process of putting them up takes some work. I'm happy to report this year I am not going up on the roof. I've heard and seen too many stories of late of people having uh-oh accidents, and so I'm staying put on the ground, but there's something beautiful that comes out of the intentional work that we do. And that when we intentionally direct our eyes to the Lord where our help comes from, we experience this comfort. So guiding point number one, as we look at the word affliction, there will always be those who will oppose you. Do you believe that? There will always be those who are for you and those who are against you. We've all been there. And the word adversity is specifically speaking to an unpleasant or uncomfortable situation. It comes out of the root word affliction, which is defined as an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, and economic challenges. So here Paul, as he's writing this letter, he for one has been the subject of physical, mental, social, and economic hardship. But he said that he endured all of it for the sake of the elect, those who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. He writes in one of his letters, again in 2 Corinthians, saying, I didn't want to cause you or be a burden to you, and so I worked and I provided for myself, but I realized that I shouldn't have done that because they were complaining. Well, you go to the other places and you charge them. They must be getting something extra out of it. Let's go to Acts chapter 13 to help paint this picture of the affliction that Paul endured. Acts 13, verse 42. This is where Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch of Pesadia. Pesadia, sorry. They're in Pesadia. This is during their first ministry journey. And that's okay, you can put it up on the screen. 
Just giving a little background. And so here they are. They began their journey around 45 to 46 AD. They're just getting going. They've just gotten out of the gate. The Apostle Paul has preached an incredible sermon. Incredible. People are coming to faith in Christ. He's laid out the gospel for them that, in fact, the Messiah is Jesus. Yes, he did die and rise again. This is important. And there's people that are excited and they're asking, Paul, would you remain with us in Antioch? Would you come and preach again the following Sunday? He says, sure. So he comes back and he, he preaches again. And let's look and see what happens. So it says in 42, as they were leaving the people, they urged him to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Could you imagine if the whole town of Waterford came out here today? Woo. But when the Jews saw the crowns, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying and insulting him. Sometimes people will just get jelly. Here they're just jelly of Paul because of the crowds. My goodness, we've never seen the synagogue filled like this. Instead of celebrating, they get jelly, they get jealous. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who have been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the, the prominent God-fearing women and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. This emphasizes for us the affliction that Paul and Barnabas saw right from the beginning. Sometimes we think that the Apostle Paul, you know, he was smooth sailing. Pardon the pun. He, had, he was shipwrecked many times. But it was difficult. There was, as I was saying, as you're going through in life and in ministry, you will sow and reap a harvest, but there equally will be affliction because you're doing the work of the ministry. You don't have to be a pastor to be engaged in ministry. We all have our mission fields, and therefore we will face affliction. And look what happens here. As they're doing this, the Gentiles rejoice that they're included in the number. That they matter so much to God that they're honoring the word of the Lord. They're getting excited. They're buying in. Well, the Jews, again, have another opportunity. They get jelly of the crowds that Paul is bringing in, but now they're even more jealous because it's not only about them. It's not about them. This now involves the entire world. Paul was faithfully discharging the ministry. Barnabas was faithfully discharging the duties of his ministry. And it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with joy 
by the Holy Spirit. There's this joy that, that bubbles up as we do what we're called to do. Imagine what could have happened if Paul and Barnabas, you know, succumbed under the pressure of this affliction. What would have happened if they just packed up shop and said, you know, that's it. Yeah, there's great numbers, but we can't handle this crowd of oppression of adversity right now. And so we're going to pack up shop and head on to the next town. They didn't do that. They knew the Lord commanded of them that you would be a light to the Gentiles. And so when you step out in what God calls to you there, he brings the provision. He brings the harvest. I believe here in this assembly, as we step out, as we share the gospel message, as we share what Jesus has done in our life, guess what? He's going to reward that faithfulness. He's going to make a way. He's going to make a way for you even in the affliction. So Paul endures mental affliction, social affliction. We can see here they're all jealous. And as the story goes on, they actually want to take Paul out. They actually want to kill him. They conspire to stone him to death in the next town, in Lystra. And after he works a miracle in Lystra, a man who was you know, born a cripple, that even Paul and Barnabas are amazed themselves. Like, I actually never caught this before. Maybe I read it and just glazed over it. But in Lystra, after this man had been healed and stood up on his feet, Barnabas and Paul both just started praising the Lord and tore their clothes in celebration. Like, my goodness, I can't believe this has happened. It says in verse 14 of Acts 14, it says, Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed in the crowd shouting, people, why are you doing these things? And what happens there is that people wanted to honor Paul and Barnabas. They were directing honor in the wrong direction. Like, oh my goodness, you guys are like gods. Because remember, there was, they were involved in the pantheon, the worship of all these other so-called gods. And they're saying, no, 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 don't misunderstand what's happening here. This is the grace of God. And so Paul and Barnabas address the crowd and they say, people, why are you doing these things? We are people just like you. We're proclaiming the good news to you that you turn from these worthless things and to the living God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. And this encourages me. You know why? Because just like Paul and Barnabas were flesh and blood like us, as God moved through them, he moves through us. But we we got to check ourselves at the door to not make it about ourselves. To not make it about ourselves when God moves. This is part of the comfort that we can, you know, operate from, that as we step out, God is there, that he brings a provision, he brings us through the affliction, just like he brought Paul through the affliction. Right at the end of this story, it says that the Jews, they teamed up. They've had enough with Paul. Verse 19, it says that some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they went over and won over the crowds, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. Imagine that scene. They stoned him to the point that they thought he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The tenacity, the apostle Paul, he's stoned and left for dead, and he doesn't you know, tucking his tail, so to speak, and run away. He's like, I'm going back into town. He wasn't deterred by this affliction. And it says the next day he left with Barnabas 
for Derby, where they continue to plant churches, and we'll get that another week. But here there's this emphasis of this comfort that Paul and Barnabas were assured of that in their midst, the Lord was there. He was bringing signs and wonders. And the word comfort is defined as paraculo or paraclesis. Paraculo comes from the root word paraclesis that speaks to coming near to one by exhortation or consolation. Coming near to encourage, coming near to pray. That's what that word encompasses. Did you know that? The word comfort. So think about when when he says the God of all comfort, he's praying over you. He's dancing over you. He cares for you. He consoles you by his word. He encourages you by his word. And so Paul, in the same kind of faction, he's encouraging the people in Corinth to keep on, to keep on in the ministry. He's giving them emotional support because of everything that he experienced they would also in many ways experience themselves. In Proverbs 15.30, I think Isaiah mentioned this last week, is bright eyes cheer the heart, but good news strengthens the bones. Just like milk is good for the bones, pumping iron could be good for the muscle, so also timely words and good news strengthens our resolve to continue. And when you think about this word comfort, I couldn't help but think this really fits well with the saying, let me help put your mind at ease. When you're going through a situation, you ever heard that? Someone has said it to you, well, let me put your mind at ease, Isaiah. And you, and you talk things through. Paul, through his letter, his heart is like a cannon upon the people in Corinth. You're going to face affliction it might seem like a great overflow, but guess what? So also will be the overflow of God's comfort. And so he goes on, and at this time, an important cultural piece was happening that around 49 AD, okay, because he's in Corinth around a year later, Emperor Claudius of Rome had exiled the Jews. They kicked them out. This great persecution was just beginning that would last for over 300 years. And so, for all intents and purposes, people are upset by this new movement, this Christianity. Jews who are a part of Judaism are, well, we'll just continue with the word, they're jelly. There's a lot of upset people in all of these regions. The Jews, we think, are just in Jerusalem. They're all over the face of the earth. And so they're facing this adversity themselves, but they're channeling it the wrong way. Instead of embracing the message of Paul, they're becoming oppositional. They're becoming negative to the point that they want to kill Paul. And so as this persecution intensifies, we can have a greater appreciation of this letter of 2 Corinthians because this letter is penned in 55, 56 A.D., Five years later after the church has been planted. And so there's still work to be done. We're doing full circle. There's still work and growth to happen. So he's discipling them from this vault of his own personal experience. Are we any different? When someone comes and shares to you, Jim, and says, listen, um, you know, I understand where you're coming from. I've been there. 
that, that ministers to the heart, that ministers to the soul. There's a camaraderie there. There's a familiarity there. Here Paul's showing us, right in this letter, he says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comforter, comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. He says in verse 8, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. Times we can think that Paul and others were never phased. They're human just like us. They went through struggle just like us. But his comfort was in the deliverance of the Lord, but also that timely word from Titus. And so quickly in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse uh, 4, it says, I'm going to be very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I'm grieved or grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. There's this incredible process that happens. Again, Paul is discipling the people. And you could imagine his heart as a pastor, even of this assembly, when maybe there's times where people are going through life circumstance. And you're, you're cheering them on and longing for them to, you know, to, to see God at work in their life. And yet, like Paul, he hasn't heard the good report yet. Have they received my letter? Have they been receptive of it? Or is it imploding in Corinth? Have they returned to the pan pantheon of worshiping other gods? Are we on the same team? And then he gets this good report. They've responded. Remember the very difficult tone that Paul had to set from the very beginning that there was immoral activity in the house of Corinth. And a lot of times in the church, people say, you know, don't, don't bring up those issues. Don't, who are you to talk about these issues in my life? Discipleship involves, we talked about several weeks ago, exercising discernment to appropriately judge according to the word of God within the house of God within the family of God. We're not talking about the outside of people who don't belong to Jesus, but within, we're sharpening one another. We're encouraging one another to, to fight the good fight of faith. And so Paul receives this good word. And like we're told in Proverbs 25, 25, good news from a distant land is like cold water to the parched throat. He's been waiting, longing. He just wasn't the same. Paul wasn't the same. Get this. He was not the same as he went through from Asia Minor up to Macedonia because he longed to return to Corinth and hear these good reports in person. He cared about them. He loved them. He loved them. 
He wanted them to know the same comfort that he had received from the Lord himself. So let's go to Acts 18 for a moment. Acts 18. And I encourage you, if you haven't read through the book of Acts, or maybe it's been a while, it's, it's very encouraging to see this chronological um, story of not just the Apostle Paul, but the early church. And so in Acts 18, it speaks specifically of founding the church. And, and for sake of time, and I have many other notes which we're not going to get to today. But it says here, and allow the words to speak for themselves. He said, after he left Athens and went to Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. This is Acts 18. In verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Here's this promise that in the midst of affliction, as you sow, you will reap a harvest. You will experience the comfort of seeing a harvest even in the midst of affliction. And look what happens in verse 9. Remember, he's received comfort from the timely word of his good friend Titus. And now he's receiving a word of comfort from God himself. In verse 9 it says, And the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in the city. A time of report from his good friend Titus and colleague, but then the word of the Lord Himself, And it says he stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. And so when Paul writes and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, he comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We, like Paul, through our own afflictions, learn the comfort of the Lord and the comfort from others to comfort others in any affliction. And I believe the ploy of the enemy would to make you think that in order for you to relate to your fellow man, relate to your fellow neighbor, you have to go through their exact affliction in order to be relative. Well, that doesn't make sense because in order to minister to a person of a particular illness, like, I don't know, Parkinson's or something, you'd say, well, I can't really minister to them because I don't have Parkinson's. No. 
But we understand the Lord comforts us in so many different ways. And at the very least, he alleviates that distress, that lowly spirit, and fills us with that inner courage to press on. Look what happened there in verse 9. He says, Paul, keep on preaching. Keep on preaching. I'm with you. They will not be able to lay a hand on you so that you're hurt. For I have many people in this city. I have many people in the city. And so to wrap things up, this comfort, there's a comfort in the shared camaraderie, the shared faith that we have in Jesus. He says in verse seven, and our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. When you step out, for the cause of the Lord and what he's called you to. Whatever you're, think about it for a moment. Whatever your sphere is, whatever place of ministry is yours, he's going to strengthen you. He's going to encourage you by his voice in the midst of all affliction so that you develop endurance. May the God of all comfort comfort you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come for a time to respond to this word. And we're going to continue this passage next week, but food for thought for next week. Christianity has never or not supposed to be understood as a luxury cruise. And don't get me wrong, there's a banqueting table the word talks about, these incredible blessings that we have in our Lord Jesus. But there's a matter of the endurance and there's this joy that Paul's getting at that when we become, come to the end of ourself for the cause of Christ, we experience this joy and comfort that the world cannot give us. This joy and comfort that the world cannot compare. Wow, that's beautiful. That cannot compare. And as I read through this letter at home, I thought, Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that you speak to us that you speak to us day in and day out and that there's purpose for living. There's purpose for living. Do you feel here today that this word is timely and speaks to you? Anytime we read a passage, it should reach into our heart. And so as you walk away from it today, you should be able to walk out these doors and say that when I face affliction, an oppressive state, even mental or social, perhaps even economic, that my Lord is with me. And guess what? I'm not alone. As you look around, as you look to your left and your right, you're not alone. You have other brothers and sisters in the Lord who are on a similar path, not exactly the same, but are continuing on this journey of faith together. And so as you go today and as we come this time of worship, invite the Lord to comfort you in your circumstance and perhaps even say if I may dare Lord may I come to the end of myself reliance on my resources of my provision and how I comfort myself to fully rely on you that's the word that I believe is is speaking to me this afternoon to totally rely on his provision the all sufficiency of his comfort that is beyond compare amen Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank that you speak to us through your word that we're so, we're so grateful for. We benefit from these letters of, of this time to be able to look back and, and to glean and to, to, wow, to gain this wisdom of understanding what it means to live for you. And Lord, it really 
wasn't all that easy for the early church. But Lord, I am thankful as my brothers and sisters are here today, that even in the midst of the affliction, there's always a harvest. There's always fruit to be cultivated. Nothing worth being done is ever easy. And so Lord, as you spoke to Paul and encouraged him to continue to preach the word because you're with him. Lord, I thank you by your Holy Spirit that you empower each of us. You speak to each of us to go into our world as lights. And that as we go, Lord, that your testimony is upon our hearts by the anointing of your Holy Spirit and that you give us the timely words in season, even to believe by prayer of faith for your signs and wonders to accompany that testimony. That, Lord, you would be glorified that people like even the different towns of Paul and Barnabas, that people would come from all over 